Welcome to Kelly Dry's Full Spectrum Podcast, bringing together thought leaders in the technology, media, and telecommunications industries to discuss legal issues that are expected to impact today's organizations and tomorrow's marketplace. Show notes and additional episodes are available at kellydryfullspectrum.com. For more in-depth commentary, head to our blog at comlawmonitor.com. This podcast is produced by the Kelly Dry Communications Practice Group. Well, welcome everybody to the monthly review, quick take of the FCC's open meeting items uh, by myself and my colleagues in the Kelly Dry Communications Practice Group. I have with me today uh, Hank Kelly and Chip Yorgaitis. Uh, it's a relatively brief agenda. Uh, the FCC did today, uh, but we'll walk through those items and tell you what's in them and get, as I said, your our first take of them. Also, uh, we're tacking on to the end of uh, this podcast, another sort of first take, this one on the three notices of funding opportunity that NTIA put out on May 13th. Uh, these are the bead program, as it's known, the middle mile program, uh, and the digital equity programs. Uh, a lot of funding goes there, a lot of opportunities uh, as well. And so we'll talk about that after we talk about this month's open meeting. And with that, Chip, let me turn it over to you for the first item. Okay, thanks, Tom. Uh, I'll be handling the uh one spectrum related item today on the agenda. Uh, the FCC adopted a notice of inquiry, uh, which it describes as a first step to develop a record on uh, offshore land-based commercial and private wireless networks that support industry and scientific research. Um, this is not a proceeding that was mandated by Congress. Uh, and judging from the draft, uh, not the result of a request by industry interests or government. Uh, this is uh, sua sponte from the commission itself. Uh, and indeed, after the draft item was introduced two weeks, three weeks ago, uh, there, there were no ex parte meetings or uh, written submissions to try to uh, have the commission modify the draft. And this NOI, uh, unlike the one adopted two months ago regarding radio receiver standards, is not a reaction to developments in other recent spectrum proceedings. This one stands solely on its own. And again, uh, it's important to understand that as a notice of inquiry, this proceeding will not directly lead to any rule changes, but the record developed in response might be useful to the commission as a basis for future rulemaking proceedings or other commission spectrum management guidance. The basic question the commission is asking in this proceeding is, what is the appetite for spectrum for offshore terrestrial operations? Uh, is, is there demand for more than what's available today? Are changes in the rules and policies needed to facilitate offshore spectrum operations, such as oil and gas platforms, uh, wind, uh, wind farms, uh, and, and a variety of other uh, potential needs? So the commission's basic question is, are existing regulatory mechanisms meeting the current demand? And, and it's clear from the comments from uh, the chairwoman today that she hopes that the commission can get out ahead of this and not just react to uh, the needs uh, for offshore applications. Um, 
the scope of this is very broad. Um, and uh, at the same time, it's, it's focused on land-based uh, terrestrial operations. The commission notes that there are satellite services and maritime and aeronautical services that support offshore needs, but the NOI is not focused on them. It does ask questions about the impact on those services, but it's, it's, it's focused more on uh, land-based uh, systems. There are questions that go to, uh, you know, how much more spectrum is needed, what infrastructure is needed to support it, uh, what spectrum bands are the most appropriate for those uses. Uh, and, and this is a very broad range, not low band or mid band, but, but everything uh, that could support it. And uh, in addition to looking at what are the impacts on other incumbent operations, such as aviation and maritime services, uh, the commission looks at what are the potential assignment mechanisms, sharing in a spectrum commons, secondary operations to the existing primary incumbent operations, or, or exclusive licensing. Um, and then the commission also wants to know about unlicensed spectrum. Uh, so there, there, there's a lot of play here uh, for a lot of potential interested parties uh, who, who may have a role in supporting uh, offshore needs to consider about uh, you know, participating in this and helping develop the commission's record. As I said, it's very plain that the commission invites broad comment and desires to develop a comprehensive record. There's 140 question marks in the draft NOI, and that ignores the numerous requests for comment that were not phrased as questions. This one, this one is uh, sort of an open book. Uh, it's not, it's not driving a particularly policy concern, as I, as I stated at the beginning. Um, and we will. Uh, probably see a publication in the Federal Register late this month, early next month, and comments will be due sometime in late July to early August. So there's there's something in here that uh, might attract a wide variety of uh, industry players. Now I'd like to turn it over to uh, my partner, Hank, to discuss the Commission's actions designed to facilitate improvements and reliability in 911 call routing. Thanks, Chip. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. Um, so like, like your uh, uh, notice of inquiry that was issued, the FCC issued a public notice seeking comments on, on a, an already existing letter of in, or notice of inquiry that had been started back in 2018. And this notice of inquiry and this, these public comments that they're now seeking to refresh the record relate to um, improving 911 call routing and specifically how to better provide location-based routing for calls um, that originate uh, from a wireless device. So let me set the stage a little bit about, about sort of what led to this public notice and, and, and sort of the technology behind it because I think it's helpful. So typically for 911 calls that are routed through a wireless carrier's network, the location of the cell tower is used to identify the location of the end user placing the call. And so the cell tower is pre-programmed with the public service answering point or the PSAP uh, that, that is used to uh, connect to an emergency services provider. Um, but the cell tower is pre-programmed with the PSAP that is, is sort of the nearest location. And uh, when the calls hit the cell tower, cell tower directs it to that, that PSAP that's pre-programmed. Now, this can be kind of problematic, uh, particularly in locations where a cell tower may have more than one public servicing answering point or a PSAP. 
uh, in that area. So only one PSAP can be designated as the PSAP for that cell tower, even though there might be two PSAPs within sort of the geographic area covered by that cell tower. Now, this can create delays in, in calls getting routed to the proper PSAP. Um, so imagine if an end user is in one location, um, it goes to the wrong PSAP, and, and those calls have to be manually transferred from the wrong PSAP to the correct PSAP once the location of that end user is actually identified. So this can be an additional 20 or 30 seconds on an emergency call, you know, which is certainly a, a, a kind of a big deal uh, in a lot of emergencies. Um, it's estimated that approximately 10% of all wireless calls and up to 50% of wireless calls in border areas uh, need to be transferred to a, no, a more appropriate PSAP based on the actual physical location of, of the end user. So, so that's sort of the background. Um, the FCC um, had initiated a notice of inquiry back in 2018 to, to investigate uh, how um, ways to use location-based routing technologies or location-based technologies to improve the ability of calls to be directed to the proper PSAP. Um, now, obviously, these are wireless calls, cell phone devices, um, and so these, the commission was looking back in 2018 as to, as to how to use location technology from the wireless devices to better deliver calls to the proper PSAP. Um, obviously, that was four years ago now, and, and the commission's issued this uh, public notice to solicit additional comments to refresh the record on, on new, new information and new technologies that might be available to, uh, for, for location-based routing of, of wireless calls. Um, a couple of things that, that kind of led to the FCC taking this opportunity. In, in a 2019 ex parte filing with the, uh, with the FCC, Apple noted that it had made device-based hybrid or DBH data uh, a location technology available on certain of its models to support carrier implementation of location-based routing. Um, in 2002, uh, T-Mobile also announced that uh, it had launched location-based routing using location-based technologies uh, to route 911 calls in Texas and Washington state. So there was an effort be begun back in 2020 to actually use technologies to, uh, to use location-based data to route calls to the proper PSAP, uh, but it hasn't been fully implemented. In May of 2022, AT&T and Entrado announced a plan for a rollout of location-based routing on all of AT&T's uh, network. And so there's been quite a few developments over the last couple of years um, to, to where, where carriers are now starting to actually use location-based information and data to route to the proper PSAP. But it takes a lot of work. So in Trotto, for example, you know, it has to establish these connections with the PSAPs, um, work with the technology uh, provided by AT&T in this instance, and, and really use device-based data uh, to estimate the, uh, the, the location of the customer, or the, I'm sorry, the end user, excuse me. The way that the devices will, will use that is they'll, they'll use Wi-Fi um, that, that can help and assist in, in identifying the location of the end user, certainly GPS, even crowd-based Wi-Fi 
can be helpful in sort of narrowing the location of the of where the end user is, and then the call gets placed through the wireless network, and then using Intrado's technology and and sort of infrastructure in place, um, use they have the ability to to direct a call to the proper PSAP. Uh, certainly, you know the FCC is looking to. Uh, solicit additional comments to find refresh the record. Like I said, find out what what's new, what's what's out there in the technology. Um, what it, how did how does location based technologies impact the ability of the PSAPs? What do the PSAPs have to do in order to uh, uh, take advantage of of some of these technologies? So specifically, what the FCC has asked for is, for example, uh, for those companies that have implemented location uh, based routing. What are some of the success stories that they've had in implementing uh, location-based routing in their networks? Uh, what are the limitations that they've experienced? What are the characteristics of the specific handheld devices that are capable of providing location-based routing? I mean, is it is particular types of GPS? What do you do about indoor locations? How are those used? And, and, and how, how is the data gathered to estimate a location for a person perhaps indoors. Um, what, what's the percentage of the handsets that are capable of supporting location-based routing that are out there? And then what are the sort of the costs to implement, um, in, to implement this technology on a, on a much wider basis than, than what's, what's been announced? And, and then finally, not, not just finally on the comments, but what they're asking for from the carriers that have implemented this, what are the differences in based on the geographic locations or the areas where the wireless providers are serving. So are the, what's the differences in, in, in using location-based routing in rural versus urban? Or what about tribal areas? Do carriers have experiences in tribal areas uh, in using location-based routing that, that, that could be helpful and trying to come up with a more understanding of policy and direction uh, uh, for the FCC? Another key issue or key set of issues that the, that the uh, FCC is seeking comment on is um, the, the interdependence between location-based routing and the commissions or the, the countries actually next generation 911 systems that are being deployed. So in a typical legacy E911 environment, carriers will route calls, like I said, using the pre-registered location of the tower and the radio antennas through the 911, through which the 911 call is placed. But in a, in a fully implemented next generation 911 environment, carriers will deliver device location derived from a location information server that then is connected to an emergency services internet protocol network, and the, 9, and the 911 authority then determines how to route a 911 call to the appropriate PSAP. So in the next generation 911, it's actually the 911 authority that determines how to route the call to the right PSAP. With location-based routing, it's the carrier and that location that is estimated. Um, and then the proper carrier or the carrier decides which is the proper PSAP based on that location. So the FCC is seeking comment about how, how do you implement location-based routing when the next generation 911 format is going to be slightly differently configured. Um, what's, you know, with the primary issue here is, you know, should the FCC 
proceed to implement some form of location-based routing independent of the development of next generation 911? Or should they proceed um, and, and not implement location-based routing until the next generation 911 is fully configured? I think they, they're seeking comment about that. That's a key issue. And that's going to be an important issue and, and probably one of the bigger drivers of, of what the FCC is looking for in their comments here. Notably, you know, a key feature of the location-based routing is it can only really be provided in an IP to IP network. And so the FCC is also asking for comments on what's the current state of deployment of IP networks at the PSAP level. Certainly if, if, if location-based routing is gonna be deployed, but the PSAPs can't in, interface with the carriers and companies like Entrato, um, on an IP basis, that's going to limit the ability long run nationwide uh, to, to implement location-based routing. And, and finally, and we've talked before about um, the, the FCC's digital equity and inclusion interests. Um, so the commission also asks for comments on whether there are equity-related issues, given the commission's continuing effort to advance digital equity and inclusion. Um, and so again, the key area there is how can we um, make sure that if we turn, if the FCC and the country turns to more location-based routing for 911 calls, how do you make sure that, that people with uh, disabilities, people with uh, people of color, uh, people that live in rural areas and tribal areas, that they're not left behind in that process and they're seeking, the FCC is seeking comment on those issues as well. I mean, I think that this, that using location-based routing is a, a great development by the carriers, by the, by the technology that's being used. It's a great use of technology. And um, I'm glad to see that the FCC is sort of restarting the ball on, on using location-based routing for, ENAP, for 911 wireless calling. Um, comments are due in 30 days from the date of the release. So that'll be uh, sometime in July. And uh, we hope that uh, uh, this is an active docket that that's brought up to date. And, and I, I would hope that the FCC takes some quick action and trying to decide how to implement this technology on a, on a wider scale than what's been available. So with that, um, I'm gonna turn the next topic over to Tom. Uh, and Tom is gonna talk about affordable connectivity program, transparency data collection that the FCC addressed today in its meeting. Thanks, Hank, I appreciate it. Uh, this item is uh, what I call a phantom item because uh, unlike the other items, it wasn't put out three weeks before the open meeting for people to look at. Uh, and then uh, when it was noticed a week ago that it would be on the open meeting agenda, uh, we had no idea what they were really going for other than what was what the statute required. And then two days ago, they pulled the item because they voted it out already. And uh, so all they have out there at the moment is a press release. Uh, but we have some sense of this item, uh, you know, because of the statute. It's relatively straightforward. You know, just for some background, the Affordable Connectivity Program is the follow-on program to the Emergency Broadband Benefit Program. Uh, and it was funded uh, by Congress with $14.2 billion. Uh, and 
Uh, it was part of the infrastructure bill. Uh, and, you know, right now it's a success. It provides up to $30 a month uh, for low income households and other eligible households to access broadband service. Uh, it also provides uh, up to $100 for a device. It's been a popular program uh, with low-income households. Some 12 million have signed up so far, uh, and that number continues to increase. And it's been popular with providers. Uh, some 1,300 providers are now participating in the program. And so what this notice of proposed rulemaking is about is to implement the statute's requirements that the FCC have an annual data collection relating to the price and subscription rates of that broadband internet service uh, that is taken and is offered by the eligible providers to households that are in the program. You know, this is going to be uh, adopted by November 15. Uh, there is a relationship between uh, this effort and the FCC's broadband labels, which also have to be adopted by the 15th. In other words, our providers showing on the labels the type of information that ACP uh, eligible households or participating households are subscribing to. Um, so the notice of proposed rulemaking uh, asks questions on the specifics of the information that's going to be collected, the format uh, for gathering this, uh, when should it be published, what should be made available to the public, uh, the timing of the collection, uh, what to do about personally identifiable information. Uh, and so uh, there's a lot on the specifics of the data collection the FCC is you know, going to gather information on. As you can see, we're sitting here on June 8. It needs to be adopted by November 15. So this will be a relatively brief turnaround. Uh, for comments and reply comments. Again, we don't have access to the draft or the item has not come out yet. So we really don't know that schedule, but just as you can see, I would not be surprised to see comments, you know, come in towards the end of July, something like that, reply comments in August so that the commission can adopt rules by November 15. And so, uh, with that, that concludes the portion uh, of our podcast talking about the FCC's open meeting this month. And now we're going to go over to our discussion about the NTIA grant programs. The views and ideas expressed on this program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of Kelly Dry and Warren LLP, its staff, or management. <laughs>